week's reading for the third Sunday of Epiphany is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Folks, I am a baseball dad. My son started playing baseball when he was four years old. And he has played every single year. And right now, he's in the very early practice kind of warm-up schedule that's pointing towards what will be his final year, his final season as a baseball player. Over the course of the last 14 years, I have sat at a lot of baseball games. Here's the thing about baseball, especially once they get up into the high school level, there are a lot of games. It's very, very common in the height of the season where we'll spend anywhere from two, three, four, five, sometimes six nights a week at the baseball field, lining the fence along with all of the other family members and parents and grandparents and everybody. And in that time, Admittedly, you kind of start to get to know one another pretty well. Now, this past year, a year ago, or last summer, I should say, there was one individual in particular, and I really began to pick up on some of his mannerisms and some of the things that he often said, and there was one statement that I heard this individual make many, many, many times, and it seemed like it happened every single time the other team was up to bat and one of their players got a hit and got on base. This was a bit of encouragement that was offered to the pitcher to try and get their head back into it. And I would hear this guy say, time after time after time, nothing hurt, let's get the next one. And you know what? There's some truth to that. It's this idea that that's already done. We can't change that. All we can do now is focus in on this next one, start this one right now with a clean slate, and let's move forward. That idea... This idea of a clean slate, of starting over, of starting fresh, of not worrying about what has already happened, but starting right here, that sense is present within our gospel today. And specifically, it's present within the reading that Jesus himself reads. But before we really get into that, we got to give a little bit of background. Now, here we are in Epiphany, different ways, different times, different things that have happened in which Jesus is revealed to the world as the Messiah. Now, I said earlier on in the video, we've had different things that have happened in which Jesus has sort of been pointed out, either because of proclamation or because of divine proclamation that has happened on the voice of God, or he's pushed into performing a miracle by his mom. These are all some of the different things that we've been having. But now, Jesus 
empowered by the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that rested upon him and his baptism that we heard about a couple of weeks ago, it has led him into the beginning of his ministry. And this time when Jesus is really beginning to own things for himself. Now, the Holy Spirit's been kind of active throughout this whole time. Again, it landed upon him, it rested upon him, it empowered him in his baptism. From there, it leads him into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan for the period of 40 days. That's also happened within the narrative of Luke's gospel. And now it's leading him into this moment. And we hear he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He returns to the region of Galilee, which is kind of in the northern part of of the Holy Land. It's his home stomping grounds. It's where he grew up. And we hear that his ministry is beginning. Now, it's sort of just throwaway within the narration, but we hear he's moving around through the different communities, that he's active within their synagogues, which was sort of the equivalent of their churches, but it's the center of their culture and their community where they come together and they learn and they worship and they pray together. It's all a wonderful thing. But he's teaching and he's, he's preaching and he's active, and it seems, again, based on a little throwaway comment, he's doing some of the miracles that, that are beginning to happen, even though Luke's gospel hasn't out any of them yet we hear that sort of thing is going on and all of this word is beginning to spread about him and then he ends up in his hometown in Nazareth the town where he had been raised and as is the custom as he's been doing on the Sabbath day he goes into the synagogue and since he's sort of the hometown boy made good on one hand and also he's a traveling rabbi even if he's in the early portion of his ministry at this point all of this points to him being the guest speaker which was all a part of that culture they hand him the scroll of Isaiah and he opens up and he reads this portion now I'm going to read it again because I think it's important the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now again, Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah dates back to an earlier portion of Israel's history. This particular portion was active right about the time when the Israelites or the Jewish people were coming out of something known as the Babylonian captivity. Now this is happening about 500 to 550 years before Jesus was even born. The people are conquered by the Babylonian empire. They are hauled off into exile and they remain living in that different place mixed in with that different culture as basically captives, maybe even slaves, but they're mixed into this other culture where they have stayed for 60 years, like three generations have gone by. And in this time when Isaiah is active, they have either just been freed and allowed to go back to the Holy Land or they are about to be. That is the setting when this is shared. And all of this sounds like good news to folks who are living in captivity, who are living under oppression, who are in a different culture and are unable, they're not free to go do and live as they want to. So yes, I have come because I'm going to proclaim the captives will be set free and the blind will will see and, and the oppressed will go free and release to the captives and good news to the poor. All of these things sound like really good news to folks who have been pushed to the margins, right? All of this reversal, this idea of starting over, which is what all that sounds like, is referred to in the very last statement, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is also known 
as the year of the Jubilee. And this is a very, very old custom that goes all the way back in their history, clear back to the law of Moses, where every 50th year was the year of Jubilee. And this is basically a clean slate, utter do-over. The status quo that has brought us to this point is all reversed and ended, and everything starts over. Captives are released. Slaves are set free. Anyone who's in debt, that debt is forgiven. If anyone has sold or lost their family property, that property is returned to them. Everyone gets that clean slate, and they get to start over. Now, this is a wonderful, wonderful idea. We don't know if it ever actually happened in practice. We don't have any historical evidence to say that the Jewish people actually did it, but it was intended. It was intended by God that everyone gets to start things back over again. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds a lot like the idea of repentance that we talk about a lot when we recognize the brokenness that's a part of us, when we recognize the things that we have done or not done, the ways that we have damaged relationship, and God gives us the opportunity to repent and turn back and essentially get that clean slate to start over again. Maybe when we consider all of that, this sounds really kind of metaphorical and and really sort of describes what we tend to think of with the gospel, that we have this Savior, God, who became flesh to overcome the brokenness, to be back in relationship and to make that possible and to allow us all to start over. And maybe, just maybe, some of these statements that Jesus makes do, do have a sort of metaphorical gospel connection. We are all captive to sin and brokenness, and Jesus frees us from that. We are all spiritually blind, but the power of the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to to faith and to belief and all of these things. We are all allowed to go free from that which oppresses us. All of these metaphorical connections are there. But when I really, really think about it, I wonder if Jesus intends us to take this metaphorically, or if maybe what Isaiah has shared is supposed to be taken literally, that Jesus has come to fulfill this so that those who are captive are literally set free, so that those who are blind are literally able to see again, so that those who are poor are literally freed from that that which which keeps them there in the first place. The debts are literally forgiven. The captives are literally set free. What if this is literal? As I considered that and thought a lot about that, it gave me some pause in this week. Now, here's something that I know about myself and the message that I tend to share and the gospel that I tend to proclaim and and, and the way that, that ministry has manifested for me. My message tends to be that the gospel is for you, and it is. But then I got to thinking about this, and here's what I also recognize about myself. I am not a captive. I'm not poor. I'm not blind. And as a straight, white, married guy in the United States of America, I'm pretty much one of the least oppressed people on the planet. So maybe, just maybe, if we're taking this literal and we're listening to Jesus literally, I have to recognize that this is not about me. 
And maybe I need to remove myself from the center and step out of the way. Maybe this is for the ones who aren't me. Oftentimes, I think we collectively get caught up in the idea that this is good news for me, and it is, but it is also good news for them, for the ones whose life has not manifested itself in the way that we're used to, for the one whose the status quo has not treated well, who find themselves downtrodden and pushed aside and perhaps even forgotten. What Jesus is reminding us is that the gospel is good news for them. But if we're taking that literally, here's the thing about it. It might sound like good news to the poor and good news to the ones who are in debt and are being forgiven and the captives who are being set free. But it might not sound like such good news to the people who benefit from that status quo. So what do we do with that? How do we move forward with this idea that this scripture, which Jesus has brought into fulfillment as we hear it, what might it be asking us to do? What might the Holy Spirit be empowering us to do or inviting us into that same spirit which rested upon Jesus, that same spirit which led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, that same spirit which is empowering him in this passage today also empowers us when we are claimed by God in the waters of baptism, when we enter into the body of Christ, when we join in the same ministry that Jesus is up to. So what is it leading us into today? I'm not arrogant enough to try and answer that question because I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be leading each of us or us collectively into. But here in a new year, here we are in January, just a few weeks into it, and maybe, just maybe, we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is reminding us that the status quo has come to a close and we are starting things with a clean slate. So what might that look like? I don't know the answer to that question, but I hope that we will all ponder it together.